الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاه والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وقل لعبادي يقولوا التي هي احسن ان الشيطان ينزغ بينهم ان الشيطان كان للانسان عدوا مبينا صدق الله العظيم most respected students of deen mothers and sisters <coughs> in surah kahf which we should be reciting every friday and the virtues of reciting the surah are known to us allah taala grants a noor to the person who recites the surah on a jumuah that noor extends from that friday to the following friday and this extends from the earth up to the heavens and it continues from one friday to the following friday the whole week such a great fazilat and when this noor is achieved the noor will help a person to be able to distinguish between right and wrong to be able to do what is going to be beneficial stay away from what is harmful because noor light when a person has acquired light then the person can move forward person in darkness the person will fall into major problems so in any case in surah al-kahf among the various lessons that are mentioned in the surah and the various incidents that are mentioned there is the incident of musa alayhi salatu wasalam and hazrat khizr alayhi salatu wasalam this is a well known incident Musa alayhi salatu wasalam had once asked was once asked by the people somebody had asked him that who is the most knowledgeable now at that time being the nabi of allah taala he was the most knowledgeable and as a manner of stating a fact because he was the person that was receiving wahi from allah taala and he was passing on this knowledge so he was the most knowledgeable so he said ana i am the most knowledgeable but allah taala was not pleased with this reply that from his high position he should have referred this to allah taala though it was the fact so the a person is tested according to his rank so in any case allah tbaraka wa taala commanded him to go and seek out hazrat khizr alayhi salatu wasalam that there is a servant of ours you should go and seek him out he has that knowledge which you do you do not have but there was a special branch of knowledge and musa alayhi salatu wasalam had the knowledge of shariat which is the actual requirement for an insan for a human being So any case Musa alayhi salatu wasalam requested that please inform me where do I find him he was given the details of how to go about finding Khizr alayhi salatu wasalam all these details are mentioned in surah al-kahf he sets out on this journey and eventually meets up with him so we are leaving out all the various other details he eventually meets up with him 
and he requests permission to accompany him. Khizr says that you will not be able to bear with patience what you will observe with me, so you rather go your way. He said, no, don't worry. I will not disobey you in any way and you will find that I am patient. So he accepted to allow him to accompany himself and they left on a journey. Now on this journey, there were various things that happened. Firstly, they came across some people who were at the river bank. They needed to cross the river and these Orphans gave them the lift because they recognized Khizr and they knew that he is a very pious person. So they offered a lift for free. So they accepted and en route Khizr broke a plank of that boat and damaged it. Musa could not tolerate this and he objected and he said to Khizr that these orphans have done us a favor and is this how you pay the favor, repay the favor? You are damaging their boat? So he said, didn't I not tell you that you must not ask anything? So he said, okay, my mistake. Don't take me to task for my mistake. I erred. Any case, they go along they come to a point where there was one youngster, one child. Khizr takes hold of this child and he kills him. So Musa cannot tolerate this at all. He says, "Aqatalta nafsan zakiyatam mighiri nafs, laqad jita shay'an nukra." That you kill this child without any basis. Why did you kill this child? You've done a very serious thing. So again Khizr reminds him that didn't I not tell you, you must not interfere, you must not ask anything. He says, okay, second mistake. Now if I make a mistake again, then you have the right to expel me. Meaning that you send me off, you don't keep me with you. Because this is now like a, a place of learning. This is a madrasa now, a moving madrasa. He has come to learn some knowledge. So there will be rules and regulations of how or on what basis the student will be accepted, and if the student cannot manage that, then the teacher would have the right to now say that, look, you're not managing what the rules are, so you go your way, and I will go my way. So, in any case, he said, okay, if I make this mistake again, then we will depart, we will then part ways. As they come along, there's a wall falling and Khizr starts repairing their wall. So Musa objects that when we came to this place, we were hungry, we had nothing to eat. And these people, they were so inhospitable, they were so without akhlaq, they did not want to entertain us in any way, do anything for us. Now you do this work for them for free. You should have charged them something. We could have bought some food with it. So Khizr says that, look, this was the third occasion now. Now, you go your way, and I go my way. But in any case, before we part ways, let me tell you the secret of what was behind all this. 
as far as that boat was concerned, it belonged to these poor people, these children, and they used to earn their livelihood with this boat. But downstream, there was a tyrant king that was now standing at the bank and he was looking at any boat that fancies him. Something that he finds, mashallah, this is looking very nice, he was just usurping it. Just giving the instruction to his guards, just grab hold of that boat, throw the people out, and this is mine. So he was usurping anything that was looking good to him. So now I damaged it a bit. So he looked at it, and he said, no, this is damaged, forget it, leave it. So outwardly there was damage, but in reality we saved it. So this king was now usurping these boats. I saved it by this little damage. Then as far as the child was concerned, The parents were good people. They were believers. They were pious people. And this child, if he grew up, he would have become a means of of driving those parents towards rebellion against Allah Ta'ala and kufr. So we removed the root of this rebellion and kufr. So outwardly this was a loss to the parents, but in reality it was a very very great benefit to them. And فَأَرَادَ رَبُّكَ أَيْ That Allah Ta'ala had wished to now replace this child with a better child for them. This is not something that we should jump to conclusions that any child that passed away in infancy then this was the case. This was a particular incident, particular situation that Allah Ta'ala is giving the direct command about. And the Quran is speaking about what the reason was. And then as far as this wall was concerned, it belonged to two orphans. And beneath the orphans, beneath the wall was the orphan's wealth which the father had buried and he passed away. And if this wall collapsed now, this treasure would have been exposed, people would have usurped it. Allah Ta'ala willed that this wall be repaired, the day will come when these children are now grown up, and it will be exposed to them, they will then be able to take charge of their wealth. Now what we are understanding from all this is, we often talk about coincidence, that this is a coincidence, happened coincidentally, that uh, somebody, something happened to him, that boat got broken, coincidental. Or that accident happened, coincidental. Whatever happened, coincidental. There isn't any coincidences in life. It all happens by the will of Allah Ta'ala. Sometimes there has been some good that has happened before time, and that good has now reached, because dunya is a, is a test. And a test can't be just something straightforward. A test can't be that, for example, now you are going to write exam in the madrasa. So now tomorrow, if it, oh, it's announced that on the 1st of March now the exam is going to take place. Or 1st of Rajab the exam is going to take place. So on the 1st of Rajab you came for the exam. Now everybody is seated. So the Mu'allima is now dishing out the exam papers. And together with every exam paper, there's another sheet that is attached to it which is the model answer. So you got question one, and then on the next page is the model answer, answer to question one. Then question two, on the next page is answer to question two. Question three, and the answer to question three. So this is your exam now. 
Now what kind of exam would this be? That you got an exam and attached to the exam paper is the model answer. And then on top of that, there is an announcement that everybody who comes out first will get a prize. Now if in that examination also, if somebody comes out second, then that person will deserve a very big prize. The exam paper has come and together with the exam paper there is a model answer and now you need to just look at this and copy it there. So can anybody call this an exam? This will be the most laughable exam ever. So we cannot expect that there is an exam where everything is so straightforward. That the answers are with it. So in this dunya, there is an exam. The question will be there. The question might sometimes be worded in a way where it will test whether you really know the answer or not. It won't be something that will be always a giveaway. There will be sometimes something straightforward. Something is very easy. Something is a little bit difficult. There are all kinds of questions. There will be sometimes a multiple choice question. And the choices will all look so close. And everyone seems that this can be right. But whereas one is right and the rest are wrong. Now you are going to have to now apply yourself. And you are going to have to really rely on having learned beforehand. Now that you have learned, you will be able to make the correct choice. So, this dunya is also a test. And if everything was just so direct, the repeated the example we have repeatedly taken, that you press the switch and the light comes on. If it was so direct and so clear cut, then there is no test left. So the dunya is a test. Everything won't happen instantly. So what happens is, that sometimes some good was done. It was done a long ago, long while ago. But the benefit of it was in the pipeline. It was coming through the channels. Now, later, that good has reached. <coughs> in the case of the child that was taken out of the system, the parents were pious people. So with the barakat of their piety, Allah Ta'ala saved them from this calamity that could have befallen them. But it wasn't so clear cut. Khizr expressed it and he knew the secret behind it. Even Musa did not know what was the reason behind this. Allah Ta'ala had given the reason to Khizr he expressed it and he explained it. Those orphans, their parents were pious people. In the Quran Sharif Allah Ta'ala says, وَكَانَ أَبُوهُمَا صَالِحًا their parents were pious people. The piety of the parents now reached, the benefit of it reached the children. That their wealth, such a uh, great arrangement is being made for the protection of their wealth, that one Nabi of Allah Ta'ala and another pious servant of Allah Ta'ala are being sent along on a journey so that they would end up in this place, they would see this wall collapsing and they would repay it. Allah Ta'ala is sending a Nabi of his, to protect the wealth of these orphans, and the barakat was the barakat of the piety of their parents. Allah Ta'ala is bringing this whole system into place, this whole arrangement into place, the barakat of the piety of the parents that happened at that time. So what we are understanding from this is, that some good that is done at some point in time, is not gone to vain, provided it was done sincerely, provided it was done with, with, with the concern for the akhirat, to attain the love of Allah Ta'ala, to please Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala, it's not gone in vain. Many a times, this is the challenge of dunya. For example, somebody 
gives up some sin. Now somebody was involved in something, somebody gives up some sin, and the person says, but what, what I got in return? Did anything happen? Did I achieve anything? Everything seems to be still carrying on like that. On the other hand, somebody is still committing the same sin. Somebody says, I gave up music, for example. So I made toba from it. But another friend is still listening to music. My life doesn't seem to have changed for the... Meaning, I didn't seem to get anything for the better. I don't see anything now suddenly turning positive for me. I still seem to have the same challenges. That person is still listening to music. I don't see anything getting worse for that person. So, what has been the benefit for me doing what I'm doing? And what harm will they be if I carry on also listening to music? Now, this is the challenge that we have to have the patience for that good to come. Because otherwise, dunya is not a test. A person has made toba, the person stopped listening to haram, stopped looking at haram, the person is making an effort, mujahada, to bring in the correct adab, to bring in the correct etiquette. And the person says, but I'm taking all this difficulty upon myself, I'm giving up the haram, but what has changed? Has anything changed? Yes, plenty has changed, but dunya is a test. What has changed? The benefits of it is coming in the pipeline. And at the same time, what wrong was done, if as soon as, for example, <coughs> a person listens to something wrong, at the same time, as soon as a person starts listening to music, like an electric shock hits the ear. Just imagine if it was like that. Like an electric shock hits the ear. What would be the case then? Would anybody listen to anything haram? But then where is the test? The test is that the haram and the halal, both are in front of a person. فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا Allah Ta'ala has placed both. And Allah Ta'ala has given insan the ability of choosing. Now what will he choose? That is the test. That multiple choice question. What are you going to choose? So if supposing this was so clear cut and it was so direct that a person started listening to haram, immediately there was like a shock in the ear, like an electric shock. So would it be even possible to listen the next time? Immediately the shock will just stop a person in his tracks. Or if a person, as soon as he looked at haram, one person was one day making tawaf, and in that tawaf, repeatedly he's only saying one thing, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ghadabik. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ghadabik. Ya Allah, I seek protection in you from your wrath. Ya Allah, I seek protection in you from your wrath. Now somebody heard this, and this person hold tawaf, this is the only thing. So they found it strange, Tawaf, there's so many du'as to make. So they asked him, why is this? You're only asking one thing, there's so many things to ask. So he says that, look, my one eye, I have lost this one eye. How I lost this one eye? As I was making tawaf, I cast one wrong glance. Now some people, Allah Ta'ala, deals with them according to their rank, but sometimes this happens also to become a lesson for others. So this is not the norm. It doesn't happen like this all the time. But, once in a while, something happens in a very strange way to become a lesson for everybody else. So this was one of those strange occurrences which were not the norm. He says, while I was making tawaf, I cast one lustful glance 
And unfortunately, this is something that happens from both ends. From men, it happens from women also. And women sometimes think that as long as I got my niqab on, so I am undercover, but then I can look where I want. Whereas the haram and the evil of casting haram glances is without any distinction of male and female. In the Quran Sharif, Allah Ta'ala addresses the men, Say to the believing men that they must lower their gazes and protect their chastity. In the next ayat, Allah Ta'ala specifically addresses the females. Whereas the Quran Sharif generally addresses everybody in the male gender. But specifically the females are addressed with the same command. Say to the believing woman that they must also lower their gazes and protect themselves. So this happens unfortunately and especially in tawaf and so on. This is something people don't take care about. That there's a lot of mixing that takes place sometimes. This is completely haram to be in such close proximity to a non-mahram that in any way one touches a non-mahram or bumps into a non-mahram, this is not permissible at all. So the tawaf should be made in a way where there isn't any occasion for this, right in the corners, if it is busy. So in any case, this person said that I cast this wrong glance and immediately one hand stuck out of the Kaaba Sharif. This was something Allah Ta'ala made happen. That as if the Kaaba Sharif, now one hand came of the Kaaba Sharif itself. One hand came out of the Kaaba Sharif wall. And it struck me on my... Or one hand came from the unseen perhaps it was. One hand came from the unseen. And it struck me so hard that I lost my eye. And then this voice from the unseen said... It could have been an angel or whatever. This voice from the unseen said... You do this again... And the other eye will also go. So therefore, ever since, I just keep begging Allah Ta'ala's protection from His wrath. That this was the azab of Allah Ta'ala that came. Now this was something that was unique. It was not the norm. But it was a lesson. That Allah Ta'ala has qudrat over this. But the dunya is a place of test. And immediately a person won't see the effect. Otherwise, if immediately it was the case, then there's no test left. So Allah Ta'ala has left it to the choice of the person. Now when he will make the mujahada and make the correct choice, the benefit will be in the pipeline. It will come. It will come someday. And when the person has done the wrong and does not make toba, it's in the pipeline. If the person makes toba, then he has somehow stopped it there. And maybe even removed it from the system. But if he fails to make toba, then it's coming. And Allah save us. It may hit at a very, very challenging moment. It might turn things upside down. So many times a person says that, but what is the, what has happened? I have done so much of wrong, nothing is changing. Nothing has happened to me. I am still enjoying life. Let us not challenge Allah wa ta'ala. Let us not invite the wrath of Allah ta'ala. One should always be very, very afraid of the punishment of Allah ta'ala. Beg his help, beg his forgiveness. And that mujahada that is required, we need to make that mujahada. So the mujahada that is required in giving up sin. So a person takes that effort, 
Allah tabarak wa ta'ala will open the ways of hidayat for him. Sometimes that mujahada is outward. That a person now wants to do something, so he will refrain from it. Because that aspect is wrong, it is haram. Person wants to look somewhere, so he restrains his gaze. He does not look, because Allah ta'ala will be displeased. Person wants to listen to something, the person stops listening to it, because it's haram, does not listen to it. So sometimes the mujahada will be external. And sometimes it will be within us. Haram thoughts. Now one is a person is just entertaining the haram thoughts. Now this will become very destructive. Because the heart is king. And if the king is corrupted with the haram thoughts, then all the limbs will get corrupted. Sometimes, for example, a person has been listening to music previously. Now the person made toba, But shaitan keeps whispering these things in the heart again. So now there is a mujahada required. Not to entertain these thoughts. Not to allow that what was heard before to play back. Or the person looked at some haram. Now those pictures are flashing in the mind and heart. Now there is a mujahada required in the heart itself. Now what kind of mujahada is going to be made in the heart? There are many things. There are many things. One simple thing is the remembrance of death. Now how does one remember death? There are so many different ways. One very simple way of remembering death at that time is that one brings to ma- learns one simple couplet about death. One simple couplet. Learn one simple couplet about death and at such occasions repeat this Many times, in the heart, several times, three times, five times, seven times, just keep saying this. The issue about the heart and mind and thoughts and waswasas is never to attack it in return. Many times we try to adopt the approach of attack is the best form of defense. So attack is not the way. Rather, it is that to immediately divert the thoughts. When a person will try to attack it, he's engaging it. And when he engages it, it will come even more. Because yeah, you're trying to attack an enemy that you can't even see. So the simple thing is a diversion. And the diversion is, in this case, to take the thoughts away towards death. Now, for example, one simple couplet, very simple couplet, Ek din marna hai, akhir maut hai. Bas. That's all. One even, not even the full couplet. This is only part of it. It's one line. So this much a person learned. Ek din marna hai, akhir maut hai. And if you want to do the second part, kar le jo karna hai, akhir maut hai. So this, this much, this first line is enough. Ek din marna hai, akhir maut hai. Now a person is repeating this. Now shaitan is trying to push that thought of the past and now you are reading actively engaging the mind in this thought ek din marna hai akhir maut hai one day you're going to have to die at the end death is going to come one day you're going to have to leave this world ek din marna hai in the end death is coming so now you're consciously reading this several times or you read the ayat of the Quran Sharif even better kullu nafsin da'iqatul maut what happens if my death comes now? Now initially that mujahada will be strong. 
because now this still has to be uprooted from the system so initially there will be more mujahada required but a person now is making the mujahada and repeating this thing several times but now when that mujahada has been made once, twice, five times, ten times then this flood that shaitan pushes into the heart and mind will already start weakening and shaitan will himself start saying that I rather just leave this person alone every time that I am putting these whispers in his heart and mind he is making this mujahada and getting closer to Allah Ta'ala. So I am now actually providing the means of getting closer to Allah Ta'ala because I am putting the waswasa that's becoming the means of the mujahada. And that mujahada is becoming the means of getting closer to Allah Ta'ala. So I rather leave this person alone. Shaitan will also stop putting the whispers. Though he won't stop forever, after some time he'll keep trying again. But that flood that Shaitan puts into the heart and mind, that will subside. But the lesson that we are to take from all this is that nothing is just without effect. I did something, it's fizzled out in thin air. That's the end of the story, nothing will happen further. I did something good, there's no benefit in it. Na'uzubillah. I did something bad, there's no harm in it. Na'uzubillah. No. The good I did, that too will bring its benefit. What is in the akhirat is certain. A person leaves with iman, he will certainly get the benefit of the good in the akhirat. And besides the akhirat, even in this dunya, the good will come. And as far as the evil is concerned, the wrong is concerned, that too will bring its effects. Unless a person has made sincere tawbah. The effect of it is na akhirat, that is there. In this dunya also the evils will come. In the hadith sharif it comes, that a person sometimes risk is descending for him. But then he commits a sin as a result of which that risk is uplifted again. He gets deprived of that risk because of a sin that he has committed. So, neither do we regard any good as trivial. What's the... This is something just in passing. Just worry about this is halal. I'll, okay, do the halal. Is this haram? It's not haram. Then I don't worry about it. It's makru, etc. It's not in accordance to adab. It's not in accordance to etiquette. Don't worry about it. Just, just find out. As long as it's not clear cut haram. Is it pork? Or is it wine? Or is it uh, interest? Okay, that's, that's haram. Anything else, no matter how borderline it may be, no matter how much it might be makru, no matter whether it is against all adab and etiquette, whatever the case is, I can't be bothered about that. That is something which obviously would be very, very detrimental for us. In the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Islam says, that don't be walking on the border of things. Because when you're walking on the border, you could just cross any time. And a person is just walking along the border, he can slip any time. We should be concerned about what is the best etiquette. What is the best adab in everything? How do we speak? How do we speak to those younger than us also? Those who are junior to us in some way. But we always speak in adab, with adab with etiquette, with kindness, with compassion, no matter what it might be. Last week we spoke about even our servants, we might be paying the person. But we speak to the person with respect. We don't ever wield our authority on that servant. It might be a menial servant. It might be somebody who doesn't even have iman also. We should make the da- niyat of dawat. Even if that person doesn't have iman, 
we speak to the person in a respectable manner because that person is also insan. We don't make the person feel belittled or lowly. We talk to the person with respect. Now if the person has iman, how much more respect? And how much more we should be talking with courtesy, with kindness, and not making the person feel belittled in any way, or the person feel down in any way. So, when this is the case with our servants, then what would be the case with our friends, our colleagues, those who are studying with us, those who might be in our, related to us, how much more with adab and etiquette we should be conducting ourselves. So now in conducting ourselves with that adab, with that etiquette, this will require some mujahada. Now a person is only asking about what is halal, what is haram. Apart from that, don't, don't worry about anything. Then what will happen to all the adab? What will happen to the etiquette? What will happen to the mubarak and the beautiful way that Nabi Islam taught? His akhlaq, how he conducted himself. Is that all going to go through, out through the window now, Zubillah? We can never reach Allah wa Ta'ala except in the way that Nabi Islam has taught. Naqshe qadam Nabi ke hai jannat ke raaste, Allah se milate hai sunnat ke raaste. In the footsteps of Nabi Islam will a person reach jannat and a person will get linked to Allah wa Ta'ala via the pathway of sunnat. Without sunnat, we can never reach there. And sunnat is all encompassing. The sunnats of day-to-day living, whether it is eating, drinking, sleeping, going to the bathroom, going to the fulfilling our daily needs, whether it is the sunnats of speaking, the sunnats of conducting ourselves in public, how do we deal with people, all this, the akhlaq of Rasulullah all this is part of sunnah. And without fulfilling the sunnah, bringing the sunnah in our lives, we can't reach Allah wa ta'ala. Then we will sometimes seem to be doing a lot, but we will still be zero. We will be thinking ourselves as hero, that we are the heroes of the place, that in my house this is what I did, and this is what I did, and all the things that we will think we did, and this is how much namaz I perform, and this is how much tilawat I made, and this is how much other good deeds I do, and I top the class, and whatever else, there's no harm in topping the class. We should try for that. But not at the expense of not having adab, not having etiquette, not having the sunnah in our lives. This is something that is the priority. This is the object that we bring our lives in accordance to sunnah. In everything. In how we conduct ourselves. How we speak. How we... Now, we just back-chatting. Back-chatting our parents. Or back-chatting our muallimas or somebody is elder than us, we are talking anyhow to them. Now, is this something that is acceptable for a Muslim? It's not even acceptable for any human being, let alone a Muslim. A Muslim is very high. He doesn't conduct himself, or she doesn't conduct herself in this manner. They are all the time concerned about how to do things in the best way, to talk in a polite way, to talk with respect and adab, to talk in sweet words, not in a way that breaks somebody's heart, not in a way that makes a person feel hurt, but to be encouraging, to be assisting, to be a support for the next person, not that we become a burden for the next person. 
that the way that we conduct ourselves, the next person is all the time apprehensive, the person is afraid, the person is now just walking on eggshells, I don't know when she'll flip, and I don't know when she'll say something to me, and I don't know when she will just back answer me. Now, sometimes even mothers are walking on eggshells. Even mothers are walking on eggshells about how their daughters might react to them. And we hear this, that my daughter, how she just suddenly just will blurt out anything, how she will just suddenly say anything, she will just throw a tantrum. Now, this was not the way of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah's Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he dealt with people in such a way that everybody was very, very comfortable with him. Whether it was his slave, Hazrat Anas whether it was some sahabi who was of a very high caliber like Hazrat Abu Bakr whether it was anybody else, whether it was an orphan, whoever it may be, every person, whether it was somebody who was under the instruction of Nabi Wasallam, every person felt very, very comfortable with him. They had the full respect and awe for him, but at the same time they loved him dearly and they had the full respect for him, they had that complete comfort in being with him. They didn't feel in any way that they are walking on eggshells. They didn't feel in any way that we don't know what next will come. Now this is the akhlaq of Rasulullah As students of deen, this is what we should be aspiring for. This is what we should be looking towards. How can we inculcate these things in our lives? These are the real jewels. We would be looking at what kind of jewelry that we can get to adorn ourselves, what kind of bangle and what kind of necklace, and what kind of diamonds and what kind of gold, and whatever else, but all that is perishable. And all that will lose its shine even in this world. Even in our lifetime it will lose its shine. And we will sometimes get so fed up and so tired with it, we say this has become old fashioned now. We will want to give it away too. But the real jewels are the jewels of the heart. And this is ever shining. And this keeps increasing in its shine. But that is something we pay little attention to. So this is what we should be doing. That mujahada from within that is required. The lessons that we have learned today, right from the beginning, the incidents in Suratul Kahf, what it teaches us is, that don't think that anything that was done, any good was done, is gone in vain. There's no effect of it. And the converse also applies, the opposite also applies. Don't think anything wrong was done and I just got away with it. There's no problem. Just forget about it now. No, it will hit hard someday. Make sincere toba and resolve never to do it again. And for this sometimes some mujahada is required. Sometimes the mujahada is external. Sometimes it has to be internal. That mujahada is in our heart. That diversion. Ek din marna hai, akhir maut hai. The ayat of the Quran Sharif before that even, Kuldu nafsin maut. With these thoughts we will divert whatever the evil shaitan is whispering in us. Or playing back some haram in us. Whatever we heard, whatever we saw. And together with that, to aspire to always better ourselves in every regard. How we speak, how we conduct ourselves. And to bring in ourselves the akhlaq of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah tabarak wa ta'ala give us all the tawfiq. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لا نحصي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جزا الله عنا نبينا محمدا صلى الله عليه وسلم بما هو أهله 
ربنا هب لنا من ازواجنا وذرياتنا قرة اعين واجعلنا للمتقين اماما ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الابرار ربنا واتنا ما وعدتنا على رسلك ولا تخزنا يوم القيامه انك لا تخلف الميعاد اللهم ثبتنا على الايمان وامتنا على الايمان واحشرنا يوم القيامه مع الايمان ربنا تقبل منا انك انت السميع العليم وتب علينا يا مولانا انك انت التواب الرحيم اللهم انا نسالك من خير ما سالك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم انت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوه الا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد واله وصحبه اجمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين